Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to episode 11 of Grow Bud Yourself. We are here for you weekly and very excited to have this amazing episode with special guest Ed Rosenthal, the grow guru Ed Rosenthal. Um, We also have a cultivation section about uh, VPD, very important to indoor gardening uh, and greenhouse gardening and strain of the fortnight as well as a bunch of other grow questions answered from you guys so stick around for more grow bud yourself all right we are back and it is episode 11 as always thank you to dj jacques and winstrong check them out on social media they made the wonderful tune i am danny danko he is Mike G, and we are Grow Bud Yourself. What's up, Mike? Hi, Dan. How's it going? <laughs> it's going well, you know. You know, I think uh, we got some exciting news coming in the near future. And uh, aside from that, you know, things seem to be getting a little bit better here in New York City, although worse in other places. But, uh, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I hope it's not a train coming at us. <laughs> And in the meantime, you know, if you are stuck at home, uh, you know, you might as well maybe uh, just binge these Grow Bud Yourself episodes. Yeah, yeah. And we are newly now on YouTube. So people should check us out. If you're, you know, if you check out YouTube on your TV or your computer, you can listen to us there at Grow Bud Yourself on YouTube. Please subscribe. Uh, That would be awesome, too. We're going to start releasing some exclusive content there. Um, that is Patreon only for the time being, but we're going to release that eventually, uh, to the general public. So please follow us over there. Listen to us. I think you could like literally be our first subscriber, right? That's right. We have zero subscribers right now. I was going to subscribe myself with my other account, but, uh, yeah, please let somebody be our first. Yes. Let's let somebody be our first YouTube subscriber at the grow bud yourself, YouTube, uh, and yeah, that's exciting. At the moment, you can listen to, as Dan mentioned, you can listen to the episodes there, um, but it, it's just going to be the logo as the audio plays. But, you know, in the future, we're going to, you know, integrate some video there and make it a little more exciting. So, you know, check that out. Keep coming back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of video, uh, there's an interesting one in the news. Yeah. Yeah. We should probably just get into this real quick. Um, okay. So uh, the Ad Council in partnership with the uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, has put out this uh, PSA about driving high. And uh, it's kind of hard to describe. I guess I'll just play it for everybody. Multiple studies have shown that marijuana can slow both driver reaction and response time, which can be really dangerous. Marijuana use also impacts divided attention. The brain's ability to pay attention to multiple things at once. That means marijuana impairs the skills connected with the safe driving of a vehicle. Okay, so yeah, that's the that's the video, and just to kind of give you an idea of what's happening, it's two it's two hip looking guys, and they're they're running from an axe wielding maniac who's wearing a sort of a burlap sack over his head, and he's he's trying to kill them like a, in a horror movie, and you know they're going through the woods and then to an abandoned store, and then eventually they find a car, 
but then of course the 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 hip guy who uh, got in the driver's seat uh, acknowledges that he is high and can't drive so they switch and they escape the axe murderer and of course it's called uh, you can run but you can't drive high wow um that's pretty stupid uh i say get the hell out of there as quick as possible high or not high um because here's the thing it's not about driving high the problem is driving while impaired so if getting high makes you impaired you certainly should not be driving uh but i got news for people out there people have been driving high for the last 50 years okay they're all around you what yes it's true and listen People who are drunk are driving, and they're far more dangerous. People who are on pills are driving. They are far more dangerous. People who are just tired, who've been driving for 10 hours and have reached the limit of what they should be doing, they are more dangerous to you than anyone who has smoked cannabis and is now driving. I mean, certainly there are people who are impaired and should not be driving, but the fact of the matter remains... uh, that driving while high is not the, you know, the boogeyman here, hmm. so to speak, you know, especially when they're actually literally having a boogeyman chasing these people. Um, the so it's really that, stupid. That driving high is worse than than possibly being murdered by an axe-wielding lunatic. Right. Like, right. It, Avoid it would driving be better high, even to just if... be hacked to pieces <laughs> than to drive high, right? The is message the is avoid driving high even if... It means you jump out of the car to switch places and the killer catches up to you and kills you both with an ax with an ax, because at least in that, in that way you die, uh, nobly without actually, yeah, nobly without actually having driven (laughs) a car. Um, It's just absurd. We're not, we're not saying go, you know, get high and jump in your car and drive around, but we're all adults here. The the fact is that people do drive high and cannabis is, is a recreational uh, substance in a number of states now. And, you know, it's far safer than alcohol. And in fact, there are no studies that indicate that it increases your likelihood of getting in a wreck. I mean, there's no evidence to suggest that it's any more dangerous than, as Dan said, uh, you know, alcohol or pills or sleep deprivation. So, yeah, this is all a little bit uh, silly. Absolutely. And, you know, shave on the ad council, whatever that is, and Vox Media. Vox, which, actually, yeah, they, they're the company that, that did the creative. They put that ad together. Yeah, I mean, seriously, shame on them. That's just ridiculous. I mean, going back, let's go back, you know, 30 years or 40 years now to the 80s where they had the cracked egg and this is your brain on drugs. I mean... <sighs> It's just, it's, it's actually super detrimental to your cause because it becomes a joke and we all laugh about it. And that's not what you want. I mean, if you're really trying to, you know, increase public safety, don't lie to us. Don't tell us that, you know, our brains are a cracked egg. Don't tell us it's safer to, you know, face an ax murderer than it is to drive. Just tell us the truth. It's that simple. I mean, here's the other thing, and this is the more insidious part of this, is that back then in the 80s and the 90s, um, TV shows would actually get credits, uh, you know, for for public service announcements. So if you put an anti-weed message within the show, you could actually sell more ads for the show because you didn't have to have it in the commercial. You could sneak it into the show. And this is why shows like Roseanne, shows like... Uh, you know, they all had to have a negative consequence to like a plot can- line that involved right. yeah. something mm-hmm. bad had to happen. If anybody used cannabis, something bad had to happen. It couldn't be uh, a risk-free or a you know consequence-free experience. And if that consequence was harsh, then you wouldn't have to run a partnership for a drug-free America ad during your show because you you had snuck that information into your show, and in that way you could sell that ad space for more money because partnership isn't paying you to run their ads. You have to run their ads. It's part of the law. And, but if you can sneak that partnership message into the show, then you can sell that ad and you don't have to run that ad. And that 
my friends. But, but the is dangerous really, part really there dangerous. is that it becomes part of culture that cannabis it, it leads to something bad happening. You know, it's not an advertisement that you're seeing. It's in the plot of the show. And then you think, well, you know, these these writers and these actors, they believe this. And this is it's just all a bunch of nonsense. But it's very tied. It's ingrained into our society. And even in the way that the press, well, obviously, in the way that the press handles it, because cannabis has a very you know, long history of being kind of slandered in the, the press because these salacious headlines, you know, they sell newspapers back in, you know, when people sold newspapers. And now they, you know, they, they create clicks for people that uh, value that. And if you look into, you know, car crashes tied to cannabis, you see all these headlines that car crashes are up in, in states with legal pot and that there's a spike in car crashes. But if you actually look at what it is, it's basically there's this thing called the um, the uh, Highway Loss Data Institute and also the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. And what these people do is they go through statistics for states that have legalized cannabis and they look at um, accident reports and they look at insurance claims and they they cherry pick the data to indicate that there was some kind of a rise in car accidents. And they attribute that to a, a recent legalization of cannabis in that state. However, there is absolutely no data tying cannabis to any of those car crashes. It's just a coincidence. It could be just a co coincidence. There's no data that indicates that cannabis is causing those accidents. But because they put this, this report out, and technically it is not a lie, you know, there was an increase, but it, it you know, it's not causation uh, causation right exactly yeah it's not it's not causation right so you get these headlines where there's a spike but that's what lives in people's brains they they all they remember is legalized cannabis is leading to this sharp rise in car crashes so it has to be responsible for them and i'm talking about reputable site you know news sources like nbc news or or bloomberg you know and, and the same this is unbelievable the same uh NBC news story that said legalized marijuana linked to sharp rise in car crashes. The subhead was about 14% of drivers under the influence of pot had a child in their vehicle. So now we're thinking, oh my God, pot's causing all these increased increases in car crashes. Oh, and also all these potheads that are getting super high and driving around are driving around with their children. But it's the same goddamn Institute for Highway Safety people that they conducted a, quote, street-side study of marijuana use. And they found, <laughs> they found that people admitted to driving around with their kids who also, you know, consumed cannabis. So once again, it, it's just incredible to me. And this is what's burned in people's brains, that there's this link that just doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, that's why I use the word insidious because uh, everybody knows when they're watching an advertisement that there's someone's trying to sell them something and it's usually something they don't need like this BS information, right? But when you sneak it into the show and you're getting paid to sneak it into the show, now we're talking about propaganda. Now it's in the show. You know what I mean? It's like product placement, but even further to the, to the way that it's, it's, it's placing thoughts into people's brains, you know, in this strange kind of way. And it's, it's just, it's un-American. It's really not uh, the way of freedom. And that's ultimately the, the, the thing there. And as far as the media goes too, I mean, enough with the cliches when it comes to the, these clickbait titles too, about, you know, the markets burning up and smoke in the, I mean, it's just, it's so, uh, trite at this point to do that just t give us the facts i mean it was lame 30 years ago and you're still <laughs> doing it absolutely just leave us cannabis people alone i mean i get it that we're preaching to the converted anybody listening to this <laughs> knows um that this is yeah. the way it is but it's, i think we it, just it, have to get it off our chest it's crazy that in 2020 we're still you know Having well, this in 1920 and 1930, they were they were running propaganda stories about cannabis causing people to to you know literally axe murder. That was one of the main propaganda stories that came out you know um, with the whole reefer madness craze that cannabis would turn you into a, a murdering raving lunatic. And you know we haven't really come all that far, despite it being a hundred years later and cannabis being legalized in more than half of the country. 
yeah, well, you know, they're not going down without a fight and we're going to keep the fight going. And ultimately we're on the right side of history. Uh, everybody out there should know this, take it to heart. We are on the right side of history. One day people will look back at this odd era of cannabis prohibition and they will wonder what the hell anybody was thinking. Uh, and they will study Maybe. it. Maybe. I don't they, know, man. Well, we can hope. <laughs> Just don't Hopefully. Know. It was interesting, though, going back to that PSA real quick. I don't know if you noticed, but if you were just listening to it, it was actually really difficult to understand what the actors were saying. It was almost as if they had to mumble these things because what they're saying is so light on actual evidence that it's like you need to just slip it by people, you know? Like, they're basically saying that that cannabis may cause a difficulty in decision making, which could be a problem when operating a car. It's all like it's on such thin ice. It's preposterous. <laughs> Laughable. Anyway, we're going to get off our soapboxes now. But uh, yeah, I think we, we both uh, saw that today and uh, just needed to take about, you know, 10 minutes to bitch about it. <laughs> <laughs> to rant. I want us to have our own, uh, like a, a separate show where we just rant about things. <laughs> like you guys pot like peeves, we'll call it. That's our reefer rant. But we don't have all day to rant because, you know, we have an actual show to deliver to the people, including um, a, a really cool interview with sort of a legend in the industry. Absolutely legend. Uh, it's Ed Rosenthal. I'm going to spill the beans. He is the grow guru, uh, the original... You know, when it comes to anyone who's learned how to grow cannabis, there's only a few names on that list of cultivation legends. And Ed is right there at the top. Uh, Jorge, of course, and, and uh, a number of others, uh, lesser known names from, from that era. But Ed is really, you know, the guru. Uh, he wrote uh, a bunch of amazing books that taught most of us, many of us to grow. And... Yeah, uh, we are honored to have him as a guest. Uh, he has an amazing past as a, as a yippie uh, back in the old, you know, the days of the 60s and, and 70s. And, um, you know, also helped to found and, and, you know, write the grow, the Ask Ed and a bunch of grow articles in high times that really changed the cultivation game entirely in the 80s. Uh, pioneered uh, medical marijuana in the 90s, paid the price for it in the early 2000s uh, when he was raided by the feds while he was authorized by the city of Oakland uh, to grow cannabis. He also was raided by the federal government and went through, endured a whole trial uh, on that that we get into a bit. Uh, and, you know, still kicking, still around, doing his thing. Uh, an amazing website, amazing Instagram page, uh, and new books coming out. Uh, videos, blogs, and everything else. So we are honored to have uh, the great Ed Rosenthal on the show, and we will be right back with that interview after these messages. We are back. Uh, welcome to a special guest. He is a horticulturist who most of you probably learned to grow weed from. Uh, at some point or another, and uh, the legendary Ed Rosenthal is here with us on Grow Bud Yourself. Welcome, Ed. I'm happy to be with you. I <laughs> appreciate it. Um, now, uh, let's take us back to maybe your first experiences with cannabis and how how you sort of fell in love with this plant and, and, and managed to sort of dedicate your life to it. Well, uh First time I tried it, I didn't get high. I tried it a second time and realized um, uh, within uh, days that this was going to be an ally of mine for a long time. And this would be like the late 60s? Uh, yeah, a little bit earlier, mid-60s. Mid-60s, wow. Okay. And then, uh, you know, I guess at some I point... I was only four years old at the time. <laughs> Now we should mention you were you were born in the Bronx here, right here in New York City, uh, where Mike and I are, and so uh, you grew up in in New York City, and and I guess you got interested in horticulture. I used to bicycle. Area, right? I used to bicycle to the botanical gardens from my house in the Bronx. That's uh, the one there. That's the 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 premier botanical gardens of the region. 
So, so your interest began early, we can say, yeah. and uh, then you before, be before weed, right? Of course. And then, so when did you get interested in, in, in writing about cannabis cultivation? I know a lot of people might not know this, but you were involved in the Yippie movement. Uh, Steve D'Angelo. Dana Beal. Dana Beal. Uh, the founder him. of High Times, Tom Fassad. Yeah. Uh, and a bunch of other people, right? Abby Hoffman and, and Jerry Rubin as well, right? Yeah. High Times was originally a Yippie publication. Right. Right. And, uh, so, and the yippies were sort of like, uh, you know, uh, that version of, of protesters that were on the radical side, but also, uh, in a way, just poking fun at authority in, in these funny ways, which I think is a very effective form of protest. Other, uh, or, other organizations like, um, like uh, were anti-capitalist, but... Um, Yippies weren't anti-capitalists. They were anti-exploitation. So mm -hmm. they were very entrepreneurial. You know, like, they didn't want to depend on the government, and they didn't, they were incapable of regular work. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, and you ended up uh, writing and, and helping found High Times Magazine, uh, you know, the original 1974 sort of period there. Uh, and then... You know, you, I think you know you you put out your first book on horticulture around, around that time. The same time, right, right. So, um, and that Ask Ed column ran for for many many years. Still runs, uh, and still runs. But I mean, in, I mean, I mean, in high times, it ran, um, you know, through the eighties and stuff. And uh, a, a total of a hundred articles. Amazing, and you know, I think for many people, that was their first idea that they could even grow their own. I think most people thought, you know, you had to have fields in, in South America or Central America or, or, you know, in Jamaica or somewhere and didn't realize that, you know, you could get these lights and, and put them up in your home and, and then start cultivating for yourself and getting a better product out of that. And I think, you know, it's quite obvious that you played such a major, major role in the, the, you know, the boon of, of, of horticulture at that time. And this is before Operation Green Merchant, uh, which, you know, of course, took its toll on the industry. But, uh, okay, so after you parted ways with High Times, uh, is that when you, you started quick trading publishing? No, I started quick. No, that, what happened was the contract with my publishing company was up, with the company that was the publisher was up. My partner and I, Mel Frank, decided to part ways, and we parted ways with the publishing company. And I had had the quick trading as a retail sales, a mail order retail sales company for the book, and then I just went into publishing. All right. Um, well, we can't have you on without talking about cultivation. So... Uh... What are some of the Don't biggest? Don't cultivate it. It's a very addictive. <laughs> True, you know that, yeah. right? Yeah, growing you know is that, addictive. Danny? Have you Absolutely, you experienced that. Oh yeah, yeah. Once you start, you can't you, stop. You always need a plant around, right? It's true. Yeah. Um, what are your big mistakes that you see growers make over and over? Bringing their plants to the police station to ask for advice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so don't do that. Don't do that. That's okay. ill-advised. Um, now, how about just with with their plants? Is it is it overfeeding, well, overwatering? What what are the mistakes? You know, rookie mistakes that people can avoid. Overtending, like that's one mistake. Mm -hmm. Oh, the the other mistake is being too ambitious. Like, if you don't know what you're doing, don't do a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, start, start small. Start smaller and and work your way up, uh, and. I don't mean that you have to go one, two, you know, not, not like that, but, but like get a, especially if you haven't done any horticulture, get a feel of the plant for a little while. You know, life, you know, presumably your life will be long. So you don't, you don't worry about four months. Right. <laughs> now, do you prefer, uh, as far as germinating seeds, is, is it the paper towel, you know, the moist paper towel method? Do you go 
directly into the medium? What, uh, what do you think? I usually use a, a neutral medium. Like I use XL plugs a lot, and uh, I've used Rockwell. Um, I've used just um, planting mix in uh, little cups, you know, a, a, a sterile planting mix or past, either sterile or pasteurized. And um, sometimes I'll soak the seeds, but usually not. I get pretty good ger- germination. Now, what about uh, you mentioned cloning? Uh, do you you know? Do you think Rockwell's the same same sort of thing? It, you know, just keep the medium warm and moist. Yeah. Uh, do you, you just use those trays with the plastic lids? Is that is that well, good enough? I I use um, you know easy easy clone cloners. They're really good. You know, and units like that that have an aeroponic spray. They're mm-hmm. good, and also. Um, there are some units that are just uh, that are water-based. You know that the, the plants are uh, it's a tray with uh, uh, space for the neolite uh, plugs, and uh, and then I keep the plants in that until uh, they form a callus right before the roots break out, and then put them into whatever planting medium they're going to be growing in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important not to let those roots get too long before you transplant. Uh, once you see them popping out, they're ready to go. Right, even just before they pop out, when they still have that callus. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because, are Are you a proponent, uh, a fan of uh, foliar feeding, misting the the leaves of the plant? Not, not really, because um, uh, well, you know, it depends where you are, but near is where I am. There's always there's usually a humidity problem, so mm-hmm. you, you don't want to increase that problem, even outdoors. Hmm. Interesting. Um, speaking of outdoors, uh, what what are some things that people can do uh, outdoors to sort of uh, keep their plants from being, you know, ruined by the elements? You know, the wind and the rain and dust and things like well, that. Well, the thing that I would do is, especially in the northern tier of the United States and the mid-tier, you know, uh, the weather starts changing in some places early in September, in some places by October it starts changing. And, um, And the amount of UV light and the intensity of the visible light both go way down beginning like in my area, which uh, San, San Francisco Bay Area, which has the same latitude approximately as New York. And in that area, the amount of light and the amount of UV light starts going down around August 15th. So if you can get your plants in before, like within the first week in September, you'll have a much more potent crop than in October. So to do that, if you... If you're not using an auto-flowering plant, you have to start with light deprivation around uh, uh, July 15th. Right, to sort of uh, trigger flowering sooner so that you finish flowering sooner. Yeah, yeah. And that way avoiding that, uh, not only that period where the uh, light is far less less strong, but also, you know, that it it seems to get moist, you know, the weather, the September and, and you know, October. You, you, va- you avoid cool, cool, moist nights, which you know uh, are make the plant very susceptible to uh, brown botrytis, brown mold, and mm-hmm. also to uh, powdery mildew. So, and rippers. It's better the earlier in, in the season that you can or that you can um, harvest. Like if you can harvest by like uh, September first, you're much less likely uh, to have weather problems than uh, later on. Hmm. Interesting, and I should tell our uh, listeners, you know, this light deprivation means basically ensuring that the plants only get 12 hours of sunlight. So you know, keeping them in the dark for 12 hours and not interrupting that darkness 
in any way. And outdoors, that's done with big black tarps and things. Uh, and, you know, greenhouses can be fitted that way as well. Uh, and, you, you know, you should also have light supplementation in those spaces if you can, uh, so that during the 12 hours of light, if it's, you know, an overcast day, uh, you can actually supplement. So deprivation and supplementation, depending on uh, what time you're doing it, uh, is actually very helpful in cannabis growing uh, indoors and out. Uh, well, outdoors for the most part, right? Indoors, you control the light yourself uh, with a timer. So uh, what are your thoughts on uh, pest control? Well, I, I spray, sprayed repellent, but Trump is still um, in the presidency. <laughs> so. Have you ever tried stand-up? <laughs> so, um, but, uh, well, first of all, outdoors, um, I know that a lot of people spray, and, uh, um, and especially for mites and things, but, uh, but I've found that, uh, that in the areas where I have uh, natural uh, uh, the uh, the pests have drawn their own predators into into the area, which have taken care of it a lot of the time. But I I I think that it, the main thing to do is to use uh, uh, botanical methods. Uh, that is either back fungi and back beneficial fungi and bacteria, or uh, even uh, different. Uh, arthropods and uh and um different mites and uh and you know uh there's a wide selection available so that uh if you go into most of the commercial greenhouses now they have an ipm specialist and mostly they don't for instance up, up in canada they're not allowed to use any sprays or anything like that and so it's all biological uh, hygiene and biological control. Uh, here in the United States, uh, some sprays are allowed. In fact, I, I produce a pesticide called Zero Tolerance, and uh, and uh, that's made from cinnamon, clove, rosemary, and thyme oil, and so it evaporates from from the plants. But um, uh, this year, early in the season, I had uh, some uh, white flies, and uh, there were just a few around, and I just decided not to do anything about it. And then within weeks, they were gone. There was some natural predator came in, and just probably some sort of uh, minute wasp just came into the uh, garden and uh, dealt with them never to be seen again interesting yeah so so a combination of predators uh of which you know there's basically one for every there's a carnivore for every vegetarian yeah. out yeah. there uh and then things like nematodes and that sort of thing as well as botanical sprays like the uh zero tolerance well uh, yeah yeah uh, so a combination but, of factors it, prevention yeah. control uh limiting populations and uh really trying to avoid any kind of real, you know, chemical damage. But, you know, if you have some uh, da damage to your plants, you know, a small amount of damage, I'm not talking about something that's affecting them in a big way, but just a minimal amount, that's going to in increase their st stress response. And, you know, it's just like, uh, it's, it's just like in humans where we, uh, when we get an infection, we, uh, we we get this response of these different uh, uh, cells that will attack the uh, the intruder, and that that's what plant they have a stress response. Like they produce chemistry in response to those uh, to the to the uh, to their attack. Hmm. So. Um, now let's talk about uh, your concentrate book uh, beyond buds next generation um this is about concentrates and infusions uh just came out i guess a, a year or two ago and how about the process of putting that book together i mean 
do you feel like uh, you learned a lot about those different uh, extractions and infusions? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, when you write a book, uh, you learn more than uh, any of your readers are going to know. So Interesting. it's, you know, it was a great investigation. Uh, now, another recent uh, book that you put out uh, is Marijuana Harvest, Maximizing Quality and Yield in Your Cannabis Garden. And I know that, uh, you know, you have some interesting ideas about harvesting. Uh, and we both, you know, obviously uh, in talking to the cryo cure people uh, have sort of, you know, rediscovered, you know, this whole idea of, of freeze drying cannabis, which you mentioned early, very early on, uh, which kind of sparked an interest in them to create these machines. And let's talk a little bit about, you know, what you think about freeze drying upon harvest. It has uh, a lot of advantages. One is uh, it's a fast process and uh, doesn't uh, have the uh, the deterioration that you have uh, when uh, you're doing typical drying, and that is where uh, there can be infections in there, and uh, uh, also uh, there's a certain amount of uh, 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 evaporation of terpenes, things like that. It takes a long time, and freeze drying is a very short process. It's a 24-hour process or less and it uh uh the material retains all of the terpenes and it has a good flavor so it and also you know it doesn't shrink so when you roll a, a joint of uh like a gram joint of uh, uh a freeze-dried material it's a, perhaps a third larger than a gram joint of traditionally dried material interesting and what about the implications of freeze drying for uh, hash makers? I think there's some interesting uh, things happening with that as well. Well, yes. Well, first of all, you can get it down to zero percent uh, moisture, so that's really good for hash making. And um, you know, it co- comes out cold, so it, if you're using a physical method, it's really good. And uh, of course, uh, uh, if you're using any other method, either alcohol or CO2, it's better to have 0% water and moisture, and, and it does. So it's good, good for all those processes. Amazing. Uh, and I should mention some of your other books as well. I mean, of course, the, the whole big Book of Buds series, uh, very comprehensive uh, strain guide, uh, there's also Marijuana Pest and Disease Control, yeah. a very important book for people struggling with infestations. Uh, the Harvest book I mentioned, the Concentrate book is Beyond Buds. Uh, of course, the Marijuana Grower's Handbook, Garden Saver, so many incredible books. And, and you've influenced so many people uh, in their cultivation careers. And, and, and it's just, uh, it's fantastic. And what about this? Uh, you, you have a new book that's going to come out uh, around the middle of 2021. And I'm actually writing a chapter in there as well. Uh, tell me a little bit about that book and, and what your what your plans are for that. Well, the name of the new book is uh, Cannabis, The Cannabis Grower's Handbook. And uh, um, since I wrote the last book, so much has happened in the industry and it's gotten so much more se- segmented and there's so much more knowledge that no one person can write a comprehensive book about cultivation at this point. And so I've enlisted the help of many experts, including yourself, to help with the book. And so we have uh, uh, people, we have growers, uh, I should say successful growers, and uh, uh, people who owned uh, grow shops, and as well as professors and we have professors from Cornell, UC Davis, University of Connecticut, and others who are all working on all working on this book. And so it's been a really uh, 
really great way of doing this by getting expertise from all of these experts. That's great. Um, I should also mention that Marijuana Growers Handbook uh, is available in Kindle form uh, for $3.99, $3.99 on Amazon. Um, so people should definitely check that out. Now, you've smoked with some of the you know most amazing people uh, in the world, uh, including, of course, Tommy Chong and uh, you know Snoop Dogg and, and, and Jack Herr. Who's your, who's your favorite person that you smoked with uh, or your favorite session that you've ever participated in? Well, I mean, the, you know, sometimes I don't know if it's a favorite, but one that stands out is Willie and I was by chance staying at the same hotel in Amsterdam. And so we went traipsing around the city uh, doing, um, you know, uh, doing the different clubs and everything. We went to gray, gray, uh, gray area. They still have a photo of it up on the wall. And uh, the uh, KGB CIA was around at the time. And so we, that, was, that was a fun time. That's awesome. That's amazing. Uh, well, let everybody know uh, how they can f- uh, find your books, uh, your Instagram, your website, is it all just Ed Rosenthal? Yeah, just go on Google and put my name in and you'll get all kinds of stuff. And if you want the books, it's quick trading, but it will go to that as well. And um, uh, basically, um, I, I've done the research, so you guys have to only have to do the work. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, now, uh, Ed's... Ed's Instagram page, by the way, is a must follow. So everyone get on there and follow Ed on Instagram. Uh, Just some of the most amazing cannabis photography uh, in the world, as well as uh, some great cultivation information and uh, all kinds of deals on books and things. So, And uh, once I'm done with this book, I'm going to start writing uh, blogs twice a week again, which I did for a number of years. And they're both cultivation and political. So Right. Well, I just want to say thank you for your decades of advocacy, activism, uh, cultivation information, books, knowledge, videos. Thank you very much, Ed. Well, thank you for having me on. Uh, it was truly a pleasure um, to uh, be hanging out with a colleague. And uh, it's great. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, We will be back with more Grow Bud Yourself after these messages. Bye. Hey, guys, I want to remind you about Vapor.com. As always, go to Vapor.com for all your vaporizer needs. Use promo code GBY. That's GBY for Grow Bud Yourself for 15% off anything on the site uh that includes the puffco peak that's my go-to daily you know non-rig driver uh and you know they have everything else on there too so no matter what you're into when it comes to vapor or cbd or anything else uh accessory wise vapor.com promo code gby gets you 15 percent off anything at the site check them out please support and uh thank you for your support All right, we are back, and I believe this is the cultivation segment? Yes, it's time to bring some cultivation information to the people. Excellent, excellent. And I think it's been a fortnight. It has, yeah. So that, of course, means it's strain of the fortnight time. Uh, What do you have for us? All right. Well, this one relates to a a previous uh, guest appearance that we've had on the show. Um, It's from Cannabiotics. Uh, we interviewed Nima uh, recently, and he and uh, JB are the uh, the growers behind Cannabiotics. Uh, and the strain is Kush Mountains. This is an amazing uh, Cannabiotics strain. It was actually on the cover of High Times, uh, I believe, uh, a couple of years ago, 2018. Um, and it was bred by uh, JB. Uh, it won actually the World Cannabis Cup First Place Hybrid Flower Award 
Uh, and that was like, you know, the best of the best of the OGs basically, because, um, that was a cup based on only the only entries being winners of previous cups. Uh, so that was for the world cannabis cup, uh, which means, you know, this is top of the top. Um, the Kush mountains is a cross between, uh, the super frosty white Walker OG, um, made famous in, in those, uh, mid 2010s as a concentrate and a flower, um, crossed with another cannabiotics exclusive uh, called blue flame OG. So white Walker and blue flame OG, um, and also JB Fino hunted through thousands of offspring to find the keeper clone, um, that he tells me has the tendency, uh, to golf ball all the way up the plant. Um, meaning, you know, grow these kind of similar sized, golf ball size nugs. Uh, but he says it will chunk out with a cool environment and a smart feeding schedule. Um, flowering time is nine to 10 weeks. So a little longer than, you know, your typical hybrid, but definitely well worth the wait. Uh, if you want to see some pictures or find out more about it, uh, go to cbiotix.com. Uh, that's the Cannabiotics website, and you can see more information on Kush Mountains, our strain of the Fortnite. All right, very cool. And, uh, you know, Cannabiotics, uh, they're known for bringing some fire uh, cannabis, so I'm glad that you got that one in for a strain of the Fortnite. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you haven't, uh, go back and listen to that episode uh, with Nima Samari from Cannabiotics, and uh, you'll definitely learn a lot about uh, growing in large spaces and, and what it takes to scale up and actually still grow fire weed, but in a large, on a large scale. Yeah. And that was uh, episode five for those of you who are interested in, uh, in checking that out. Uh, so at this point, uh, normally you, you have a topic of cannabis growth that you would like to, uh, to teach people a little bit more about. So, so what do you have for us this week? This week, I would like to talk about vapor pressure deficit. Uh, or VPD. Uh, a lot of times people will just talk about VPD, uh, but not really understand exactly what that actually is. It's a little bit of a complicated uh, concept, but not really if you think about it. Basically, it has to do with uh, temperature and humidity uh, and how they relate to each other. So basically, uh, if your air is too dry uh, around your plants, your plant will transpire more uh, meaning it'll release moisture through its stomata. This is why you'll see, you know, sometimes, you know, beads of water forming on leaves and stuff. It's actually coming out of the plant because it's so dry. Uh, and this is not good for your growth at all. Um, now, on the other hand, if your air is too humid uh, and the vapor pressure rises, the leaves will transpire less. Uh, and if that goes too much in that direction, that can be a problem as well. Um, so you really want to dial in vapor pressure deficit. Uh, it's basically measured uh, as the difference between AVP, which is actual vapor pressure, and SVP, which is saturation vapor pressure. Um, now, all that sounds like a lot of science, but basically uh, it's an advanced level metric. It takes into account air temperature, leaf temperature, and relative humidity. Uh, and if you want to dial in your environment and have optimal growth rates, you really need to learn about VPD. Again, if it's too high, uh, your young plants will take in more nutrients that they need uh, and can become toxic. Uh, and, you know, VPD should change over the course of your plant's growth as well, because, uh, you know, when, when their plants are clones or young seedlings, uh, you know, the VPD should be a little bit lower. And as the plants mature, the VPD should rise, okay? That's to accommodate for more transpiration. Um, and the way that you control it is with either humidifiers or dehumidifiers, whether depending on whether you want to raise or lower uh, VPD rates. Now, if you just look it up in, in Wikipedia, it'll tell you, okay, it's the difference or deficit between the amount of moisture in the air and how much moisture the air can hold when it's saturated. Uh, and once air becomes saturated, water will condense out and form clouds, dew, or films of water on your leaves. That's the, you know, wiki uh, definition there. Um, as far as controlling it, I mean, this is very important, okay, because it, it really matters for your growth rates, okay? This is an agricultural concept that comes from greenhouse growing and, and goes way beyond cannabis. 
Um, and it has to do with water and nutrient intake and how to optimize that. Um, there's lots of different uh, calculators or charts that'll give you, uh, you know, what your VPD that you should be aiming for is. Like I said, it's different during different rates, different times of growth. Those charts that you see online are great, but also just a reference point because you have to understand that different strains react differently. And you're really going to want to figure out and fine tune uh, the VPD levels that work best for you. So start with the charts, uh, but keep your own notes and you know how different strains are reacting to specific VPD levels. Um, and you know you should always be measuring relative humidity. Um, you should always be measuring air temperature. So you know it, it is important when you first start working with uh, vapor pressure to maintain a low relative humidity. You know you want to be 50, 55 percent uh, until you start gaining confidence because uh, if the levels are higher, uh, you can also get mold and mildew growth and things like that. So. Basically, uh, you know, dial the VPD into to the strain, you know, specific way that you need it to be. And uh, remember that, you know, clones and seedlings, um, they don't have, you know, huge root systems to transport water or nutrients to the plant. So they don't, re they require a lower VPD uh, just to keep them from drying out. So when you're cloning, you want to keep that low. Uh, once roots are established, you can increase VPD and that encourages transpiration and helps your plants to grow. Uh, just remember, not too high, not too low, uh, and figure it out because it's strain specific and that's vapor pressure deficit. All right, very interesting. And uh, that should help some of the growers out there. So thank you for that. Um, you know, we, we didn't do this last week, but we're returning to it this week. Of course, this is when Dan answers uh, questions from our listeners. And if you have a question that you would like Dan to address on this show, you could reach us uh, by email. It is info at growbudyourself.com. You could also get us on socials where he is at Danny Danko. I am at Mike Check G. The show is at Grow Bud Yourself. What do you say we jump right in? Sounds good. All right. This first one is from Mark. Uh, he writes, uh, Danny, Mike, I love the podcast and the book. He's referring to your book, I believe, the the new one. That's right. Beginner's Guide to Growing Marijuana, which actually, if you join our Patreon page uh, at the $25 a month level, you get a free copy signed of that book as well. I think that's where he's uh, he got it from. All right, so he uh, he appreciates the book. Uh, he says he's listening in each week from Ireland, and he has this question. If I were growing uh, White Widow autoflowers in a cocoa and clay mix, and if they were five weeks old, getting daily manual fertigation and vegging really well, and if I needed to go away for three nights this week and had nobody to come and water them for me while I was away... What would be the best way to set my plants up before I leave to minimize damage during this upcoming three-day drought? So what do you think? Interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, I try to advise people not to go away for too long uh, just because a lot of things can happen when you're away. But three nights is, you know, understandable and reasonable. And I think you can get away with it. Um, one thing that people can do is have a, you know, a small reservoir with nutrient solution in it and have that either pump or wick uh, into their uh, clay and uh, cocoa and clay, I'm assuming clay pellet mix. Um, that's something that's going to dry out pretty quickly. Obviously, that's why uh, you're showing that concern. Um, so if you have, a, you know, a timer and a pump, uh, you can actually set that to, you know, once, twice a day, uh, water your plants. Uh, another thing that people do is they can take a two liter bottle uh, you know, fill that with the nutrient solution and then kind of just put that right into the mix upside down, you know, with the, the spigot or the, you know, top of the bottle down into the, the mix. And then the plant will just sort of pull what it needs out of there. Um, really, like I said, three nights shouldn't really do too much, but uh, certainly want to do something to make sure those plants do get watered at least a couple of times during that period. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the best way, like I said, would be uh, a timer, uh, a, a small reservoir and a pump uh, with some tubing that just goes to those plants. You can have that uh, as a drip irrigation kind of tubing system that 
feeds the plants at a, you know, a couple of times a day, uh, depending on the size, you know, you said five weeks old, so they probably don't need that much, uh, water and, and, and stuff, but just enough to keep them alive until you get back and you can get back into your hand feeding. All right. Uh, thank you, Mark. We hope that helps you out there. Um, let's move on to Kent. Kent writes, hey, Mike and Dan, uh, sometimes after sprouting, the seedling's first round leaves are vigorous, which typically means it's a good plant, but occasionally, and kind of specifically to OG Kush strains, the first set of serrated leaves appears and then just stops growing. Not all, as some will very gradually progress and make it to fruition. So, is this a sign of uh, age or poor storage from the seed bank, or is it genetics common to OG strains? Other strains never do this. Usually, if they make it above soil, they thrive. So, what is up? Uh, what do you think, Dan? Huh, interesting. Uh, well, if, if all of these seeds came from the same source, I would think that it's probably related to that. Uh, not so much the genetics that's common in OG strains, because typically this isn't something that you hear about from OG strains just stopping growing after the first set of leaves. Um, certainly different strains have different, you know, quirks and characteristics. Uh, but I would put that more on, you know, poor storage from the seed bank. Uh, old seeds are just strange genetics uh, that aren't really working out. Uh, if the seeds have been sitting around for a really long time, um, they can lose their vigor over time as well. Uh, but yeah, if you're saying that it's not your sprouts and you have other healthy plants in the same area and the same medium, um, then I would imagine that this is something genetic rather than something that you're doing wrong. Uh, one thing I do see is people, you know, when their plants first sprout, they uh, have the light too far away and the plant stretches to the light. And sometimes that can cause problems because if it's really too far away, they're just not getting much light at all, and they and they can slow to, that can slow their growth as well. All right, sounds good. Uh, thank you, Kent. And let's move on. This is from um, an anonymous emailer, and uh, he writes, uh, "Hey, I've learned a lot from the podcast. I'm really interested in the science of growing. What are some books or authors that I could read on how uh, to grow and uh, learn a little bit about the science? Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks." Hmm. Well, uh, you know, our guest on the episode today is, is a great place to start, Ed Rosenthal, uh, Jorge Cervantes, uh, I would say uh, Robert Connell Clark, Greg Green, uh, My Beginner Book, if I can throw that in there, um, is a good place to start. Uh, and, you know, you're going to want to read books that aren't just about cannabis growing as well, just to really kind of understand the concept and, and learn just about plant science in general. It's very important. Um, but I would start there. Um, those are those are great places to start. Okay, so yeah, lots of lots of uh, of good sources for the uh, science of growing there. And anonymous also has a follow up. Um, he says, "I'm having a difficult time understanding what a clone is, what it's used for, and how to make a clone. Can you help me with that?" Absolutely. Uh, a clone is a piece of a mother plant, which is a, a plant in its vegetative stage. Uh, that you know is a female plant. And we talked about that on a previous episode, if you check out the mother plant section. Uh, and basically you cut a piece off of that mother plant and you induce that cut end to produce roots. So basically you're taking a piece of a plant that has no roots, uh, putting it into a, a moist and wet medium and keeping that warm. And eventually what happens is roots will pop out of that cut end of that clone and it'll be an exact copy replica of the mother plant so you know it's a female now if you do that with you know 15 or 20 clones now you can fill a room and have a, a, all the plants behaving exactly the same you know they're all females there's no worry about hermaphrodism there's no worry about one plant you know if you grow from seeds you get one tall plant one short plant and medium plants they're kind of all over the place and it results in affecting your yield in a negative manner so if you grow from clones, you know, and this is particular to indoors, you get that level canopy that you're looking for. Um, and so it's much more efficient and, you know, it's quicker as well than waiting for a seedling to sprout and root and um, get to the size of where the clone would be. So, you know, again, I've talked about this before, but the keys to cloning are um, humidity, you know, a high level of humidity and warmth. Uh, you know, heat. So I, you know, I would just use a plastic tray. 
Um, I would use, you know, uh, plugs in the tray uh, that you moisten and make sure that they're, you know, wet but not dripping, soaking wet. Um, a clear plastic lid on top of the tray. All of this costs just a, a couple of bucks. And then for about 12 or 15 bucks, you can get a heat tray or a heat mat that goes underneath. You plug that in and it just keeps it warm without, you know, obviously cooking your plants. Um, but, you know, keeping it warmer than room temperature will help you get better, stronger roots uh, and have a, a better cloning uh, percentage of success. Um, so that's what they're used for. That's what a clone is and that's how to make one. But we do have uh, more information on cloning on a previous episode where I really take you through the process of how to actually cut the clone, um, dip it into a uh, rooting hormone that can be powder or gel and then actually put it into a the medium that you're going to be using and within you know seven to ten days you should have roots popping out of there and you should be able to uh get growing all right lots of good info there so we hope that uh helps you out a little bit and uh we have we have time for one more so let's let's take this one from uh d-man who writes uh hey mike and danny i've been listening to your show since the beginning I was a CEO of a corporation for many years and quit growing due to the chance of getting caught by law enforcement and ruining my career. After retiring, I found free weed online and uh, started back growing again. Your show is a great source of information. So I have a question related to curing. Do you support the use of humidity regulator packets? The concept seems to make sense uh, where the product stays at a certain moisture level. And also, I have, uh, I've had storage issues with the material degrading and turning brown after a few months. I started using oxygen absorbers in combo with the humidity regulators in airtight glass jars in a dark pantry. Uh, what is your swing on this? Do you think uh, this will resolve my issues? Thanks, guys. Love the show. So what would you say to D-Man? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, I'm not opposed to humidity regulator packets. I think if you do your drying and curing properly, they're not necessary. Um, but if you have any hiccups uh, during that process, then humidity regulators can bring it back. So we're talking about something like Bovita is one of the brands, and they're basically packets um, that can keep humidity at a specific level inside your jar. Uh, so if you have gone too dry or you think it's too moist and you want to regulate, um, you can use one of those packets in the jar. If you've dried and cured properly, it's really not a necessary thing as long as you keep the jar sealed uh, and in a cool, dark place. Um, you shouldn't see much degrading or turning brown, especially just a few months. I mean, certainly the curing process does have some uh, degradation and turning brown kind of is a part of that you know it's not going to be the bright green that it is right when you take it off the plant but some of that has to do with you know losing that grassy green chlorophyll taste and and some of those uh um you know the, that moisture that's built into that so uh again i'm not opposed to humidity regulator packets but i do think that they're more for uh in case something went wrong rather than something you should use on a regular basis all right uh, sounds good. We hope that helps you out there, D-Man, and we appreciate the support, so thanks for listening. And uh, we're glad that it rekindled your love of growing, so very cool. If you have a question that you'd like Dan to answer on this show, uh, please do reach out to us. Uh, the email is info at growbudyourself.com. So uh, what do you say? We take a little break now, come back, and then wrap it up? Let's do it. All right, we are back, and I think this is the time that we wrap up the show. Time to time to wrap it up. All right, well, as always, thank you to DJ Jock and Winstrong. Always check them out. Tell them we sent you. Thank you, as always, for the amazing tune. Uh, grow Bud Yourself, you guys. Do it. Um, thank you to our special guest, Ed Rosenthal, um, for the interview. Um, check him out at edrosenthal.com and on his Instagram page and everywhere else, Amazon. Um, thank you to Mike G, my co-host and producer, as always. Um, thanks to you guys for listening, sending us questions. Remember to check us out on YouTube. 
Uh, we are newly integrated with YouTube. With YouTube. <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> with YouTube. So check us out on there. Oh, be um, our first please subscriber. Subscribe. Be our yes. first one. Please subscribe to us. Yeah. Uh, that would be very exciting. We're also on Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Danny Danko. That is where you can support us. Uh, if you join at the $25 a month level, you get a free copy of my book signed and delivered to your home or anywhere else you'd like it delivered. And it really does go a long way to help us um, provide you with this weekly show. Uh, so please check us out on patreon.com. There's also ex exclusive content that you can get there. So thank you for all the Patreons that have already joined and hopefully you will join as well. It's been a great show. I think uh, that's a wrap. Let's put this one in the books.